I would say if you don't know Harley, you're probably sprinting into this place as fast as you can and out of this place as fast as you can. Uh, if you don't know him, please, he's wonderful and he, uh, he's just so welcoming is why I said that. So, um, and, and let me add one more thing. Uh, with Andy saying and encouraging you to pray about um, moving to that life group, um, and, and, and sometimes we can be so like connected that we don't even want to consider praying um, I'll just share with you, uh, 19 years ago, um, I had planned to plant Cornerstone here, had announced it to the staff um, 19 and a half years ago in Cornerstone, uh, Simi Valley, and Francis, very graciously, the pastor there, um, to the church staff and to the body, uh, told them, I want you to go home and I want you to pray about going with Tony. And uh, Megan Kirkwood was on staff. She was one of the receptionists at the church and went home and talked to Corey and said, you know, we're supposed to pray about this, but obviously we're not going um, because it's Ohio and uh, all of that stuff. But, um, but Corey's like, of course we're going to pray. And, um, and they prayed and, I mean, what an amazing thing that the Lord was so gracious to do through prayer um, to bring them as a part of the team to plant Cornerstone. So I, I mentioned that to you because you just don't know. I mean, there, yes, we have wonderful relationships in our life groups and we, we feel connected to those and, and, and it really is a blessing to see how many of you are plugged into life groups. I mean, just incredible. Um, but pray. And ask the Lord, um, because there may be other things that the Lord has for you to do um, in this particular life group, and, and we want to be a blessing in that way. So I just commend that to you and your thoughts of it, because if you're like me, you may be very quick to just dismiss and not pray about it, because you're happy where you're at, which is a good thing too, but not the dismissal part. All right. Well, this morning we're going to be continuing in the season of Advent as we look at Acts chapter 3, verses 17 through 23. We're continuing our study through Acts, so go ahead and turn there. Acts 3, beginning with verse 17, is where we're going to be. There are 15 days until Christmas. 15 days. If you know me, you know I love this time of year so very much. There are certain years where it feels more intense than others, certain years where it's uh, certainly more nostalgic feeling, and then certain years where it's just more busy or feels more busy, and I'm sure that you can probably relate to those feelings as well. But in the midst of all of it, I think one thing that we can relate to together, one thing that we would all say, yes, we have this feeling, is ultimately through this season we long for peace. Peace. We sing about peace during the Christmas season, right? Peace to men on earth. Sleep in heavenly peace. Peace is the theme of the second week of Advent, and I want to encourage us through this, myself included. I want to be encouraged in the truth that there is peace to be found in this world. The longing for peace that we have is ultimately a longing for Jesus. 
Our scripture reading earlier today was Psalm 29, and verse 11 says this, May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. We long for peace. And the good news of Advent is that that longing that we have and that Advent is all about results in peace because Advent is the longing for, the anticipation for Jesus, for the Christ. And he brings peace because he is peace. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In other words, the closer that we get to Jesus, the closer we get to peace because he is the Prince of Peace. And so as we approach our text today, we hopefully see again how Christ offers this hope of peace. So go ahead and stand. I'm going to read verses 17 through 23 of Acts 3. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Jesus, we confess together that you are the Prince of Peace and you are, therefore, what we long for. Whether we acknowledge or or even understand that connection or not, Lord, it's you. And so help us, Lord. Help us in this time. Help us through this uh, text, Lord, to know you, to love you, and to long for you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, this text that we are in today is coming from the middle of a short sermon that's given by Peter in response to people gathering to find out what happened. Because a man who had been crippled his entire life, had to be carried everywhere that he went, was healed. The people are amazed, astounded. And so Peter speaks up, and we saw last week in this sermon, he's pointing to Jesus. He's saying, in a sense, it's not us. We we did not do this. This is Jesus. It's the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. Now, last week we saw that Peter had confronted these people, confronted them with the fact that they had put Jesus to death. 
They handed Jesus over. They denied him when Pilate was prepared to let him go. They disowned him even though he was the holy and righteous one. They asked for a murderer to be released instead of Jesus. They killed Jesus even though he was the author of life. And he continues here in verse 17 and he says, I know that you acted in ignorance. I know you did these things in ignorance. I know you didn't understand what you were doing. You remember when Jesus was on the cross and he looked out at those who had crucified him, those who stood by even as it happened, and those who were mocking and jeering him as he's on the cross. And remember, as he looks out at them, what he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And such an amazing and wonderful moment on the cross. And Peter here is saying similarly to that. And notice he calls them brothers. Again, this is not disingenuous. He's making this appeal to them, his Jewish brothers. And he's saying to them, I understand that what you did, you did out of ignorance. You didn't know what you were doing. And he says that to the general group, but also he identifies the rulers in that. Those who would, who would be the, the high priestly families or the members of the Sanhedrin. Those who indicted Jesus of blasphemy and handed Jesus over to Pilate for him to be tried and convicted and executed. They didn't understand who Jesus really was. Peter's acknowledging that. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah, the holy and righteous one, the author of life. So he says, I know you acted in ignorance. Verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled he adds here, I understand that you were ignorant in the things that you were doing. You didn't understand who Jesus was or what you were actually doing through this. But this was all part of God's redemptive plan. His plan to rescue people from sin and from death. And he says to them, it was all right there the whole time. God had told them it would happen. He did that through the prophets. Through people like Moses and Isaiah and Samuel and Abraham and several others. It's such an important reminder, again, the Old Testament is not some distant and distinct story separated from the story of the New Testament. It's all a single story. The Old Testament pointing forward to what God was going to do through Abraham and his family. It's what the rest of the prophets pointed forward to as well. And Peter's saying God has fulfilled all of these promises in a specific way. In this way. Through the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension. 
God affirmed that Jesus' death was a part of his plan by raising him from the dead. And I know that I have referenced this many, many times throughout the years, but it's so worth mentioning again as we consider Advent, as we consider Jesus' death mentioned in this text. But, but Tim Keller said of the resurrection of Jesus that it was both proof and promise. That it is proof. The fact that Jesus is raised from the dead is proof that God, the Father, accepted His Son's sacrifice for our sins. And it is a promise that we too will be raised to be with Him forever. It was always, always God's plan. It's been the story of the entire Bible. Peter's saying here that that plan that he told about through the prophets, he fulfilled in and through Jesus. All of it was pointing to Jesus. Verses 19 and 20. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Now, this is so wonderful and so important for us. Because of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, anyone who turns away from the life they've been living and turns to God instead, in other words, anyone who stops living for themselves and turns to God to live for God through faith in Jesus Christ, anyone who does that will experience these incredible, Incredible things. Their sins will be blotted out, wiped away, and times of refreshing will come. And they'll receive the promise of life forever with God. It's incredible. You consider the longing for peace that we have and the desire that we experience and also remember in Advent. This is the ultimate fulfillment of those. It's the ultimate fulfillment of that longing. Your sins will be blotted out, Peter says. There's no greater news than that. The one thing that keeps you from life with God forever is your sin. Paul writes that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and then later says that the wages of sin is death, separation from God. But through Jesus, God made the way for those sins that keep you from Him to be wiped away, to be forgiven. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are the way that happened. He lived, died, and was raised on our behalf. Peter's saying here, when we turn from the life we've lived for ourselves and seek Him, believing in Him, then our sins are blotted out. And notice, Peter is saying this to the Jewish people that he's addressing here. Notice the context 
of Peter saying these incredible truths. Because there's two very significant things that we, we, we ought to recognize as we see who Peter is saying this to. First, they're the ones who had just killed the author of life. Peter has just said that. You killed the author of life. In fact, you asked for a murderer to be delivered to you instead of him. They chose a murderer over Jesus. They asked for the blood of Jesus. They wanted him to die the worst possible death, which is crucifixion. But Peter says to those people that there is hope for you in Jesus. No matter what you've done, if you will turn trusting in Jesus, your sins will be blotted out. You will be forgiven. And times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord for you, Peter says. But notice another thing, the second thing. These ones that he's speaking to, they're the ones that he's just said were ignorant of what they had done. They acted in ignorance. So we we might look at that and say, well, if they were ignorant, then, then are they still guilty before God? Even if they didn't know that what they were doing was wrong, are they still guilty before God? And the answer that Peter's giving here is yes. And here's how that applies to you and me, whether you knew or not that you needed God. Whether you knew or not that Jesus is the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world, whether you knew or not that you were created as an image bearer of God and that your life is meant to bring Him glory and honor, whether you knew or not, you still need to repent and turn from your sins, turn from living for yourself and turn to Jesus who wants to forgive you and wants to give you times of refreshing from his presence. Who wants to give you life and peace. These Jews in Jerusalem, they're going the wrong direction. They're headed the wrong way. They've opposed Jesus. They think that they're following God. They think that they're following His law. They think that they're obeying Him, but they're going the wrong way because they've dismissed Jesus. And God sends Peter and is calling them back to Himself. That's grace. it really matters what we think about Jesus and what we do with the fact that he died and was raised from the dead. It matters what we think about it and it matters what we do with that truth. It matters what we believe. It matters what we do. The really good news of the gospel is that if we believe, if they believe, if they repent, if they turn, Peter says, then their sins will be blotted out. 
their sins will be wiped out forever. Peter says they'll receive times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. God's blessing and the realization of peace that was promised at the birth of Jesus will be theirs. Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It is pleasing to the Lord when someone, or like here in Jerusalem, when many turn to him in faith. It goes on, verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. What's, what's Peter saying here? The story is not over. It didn't end at the cross and resurrection. The story of the Old Testament was pointing forward to something God was doing through Abraham, Moses, Samuel, and the other prophets. That something was the restoration of all things, the time when everything would finally be made right. There's a time coming when God will restore all things in Christ. All things. Peace will come at last and for always. Christ will return, heaven and earth meeting together, God dwelling with man, and God will make things right. That is the goal. That's the plan. That's where all of this is headed. It's what Christ has accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. And when Jesus finally reappears, heaven and earth will come together as one. All things will be made new. All things will be restored. Just imagine that for a moment. The peace that we will have forever because of Jesus. But what Peter is saying here also is that we don't have to wait to experience peace. And when people turn from the life they've been living and they turn to God, when they repent, then times of refreshing come immediately. That it happens in the present, and it's a very real, very true foretaste of the final restoration that's coming. Verses 22 and 23, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Peter highlights here how necessary it is to repent. Those who do not listen, he says, will be cut off. They'll be destroyed. But look how he speaks of it. He goes back to what one of the prophets had said many years before. Moses, 
Moses said that the Lord would raise up for you a prophet like me. Now that prophet, Peter is telling us here, is Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. And what does turning look like then? It looks like listening to Jesus. Turning looks like listening to Jesus. It looks like living in his ways. I know this is something I've repeated so many times in the last seven years or so, but I think it's so important. And so I'm going to keep on saying the same thing over and over because I think we need to be reminded if you want to know what the kind of listening or this kind of listening looks like, what it looks like to turn to Jesus and not religion, what it looks like to listen to Jesus and not whatever your tribe or culture is telling you, go to the Sermon on the Mount and listen. And then observe from there the way that Jesus interacted with people and what kind of people he embraced and what kind of people he interacted with. And when you do, that's Jesus. That's who Jesus is. And that's who he's calling us to be, to image that Jesus, the Jesus who loves. Go and read about Jesus. Read his sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and then look at him. Study Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. It is him. He is who is peace. And he is the one we're called to listen to. That's who we're called to turn to. And in turning to him, we find peace. Peace is found in Jesus. That's the theme of the second Sunday of Advent. It's promised throughout the scriptures. And so I just want to read about how Jesus is the fulfillment and promise to us of that longing of our hearts, which is peace. So listen to these promises as you consider Jesus. One we've already read, Isaiah 9, 6, for to, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. 
if he trusts in you. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 16.33, I've said these things to you so that in me you will have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace, who who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And what does that look like for us? Romans 5, 1, therefore since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 14, 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Second Thessalonians 3, 16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you. In in all of these truths, and all of these promises, it is Christ, it is the Lord who is and who gives peace. Isaiah 53, 5 again, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we're healed we remember we remember his sacrifice for us each and every time we take the bread and the cup what's the purpose of it as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup you proclaim to each other these truths you proclaim the Lord's death, until he comes and makes all things new. And so as you're dismissed and as you come to get the bread and get the cup and go back to your seats, let's set our minds on Jesus. This Jesus who walked on this earth and taught what it looked like to follow him and then showed us the love of God for others. And who says to us, follow me. Follow me. Let's set our hearts on him who is our peace. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. You are so, you are so, so good to us. In all of your ways, you are set apart. Set apart from us, Lord. In your holiness, in your power, your majesty. 
in truth, in justice, in peace. We long for peace, Lord. We feel it. We feel the longing that we have in our hearts, in our homes, in our workplaces, in the world. We long for peace. We acknowledge that that peace comes from you, Lord. It is you. Jesus, you really are the Prince of Peace. And so we pray that you'd help us, Lord. Help us by increasing our faith and narrowing our focus, Lord, that we, we really would study you, Jesus. That we really would be reminded of how you live. And that you never change. You have never changed and you never will change. You're not a different Jesus now than you were when you interacted with people here on earth. And you've called us to follow you, to walk in your ways. So we confess we, we need your help in that. We need your peace because we want to be ministers of peace, Lord. Deliverers of peace the way that you were and are. So in this season where things can distract us in so many different ways. Help us to have peace and to know that that peace is you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.